Welcome to First in Maine, your avenue to living well. I'm Debs here with my amazing co-host, Lauren, to meet you in the busyness of your everyday life, to pass along some of the insights and wisdom we've gained over the years. Don't try to figure out life alone. We want to connect you to some of the incredible, well-rounded people in our world. They're life coaches, counselors, pastors, physicians, just amazing people who can help you along the way. Each episode, we'll be sharing personal stories, practical help, and timeless principles to help you live at your best. So lean in and let's tackle life together. Well, welcome back to First and Main's podcast, episode number 11. Y'all, we have been podcasting for six months now. Debs, can you even believe that? It seems like it was just yesterday that we were still brainstorming how to even begin this new adventure. And here we are on episode number 11. No, I mean, it really has been six months already. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Half a year. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, it's definitely been an adventure. All right. And uh, can I just say I'm really glad that I'm on it with you? (laughs) Yes. You can say that. Okay. Since we're actually talking about attitude, I do want to take just a minute and say, I think you have a great attitude. Whether it's topic planning, script writing, learning new stuff, you really are the best. And I just wanted you to know, I appreciate that about you. Oh, I appreciate you. And I cannot imagine doing this podcast with anyone else because then I might really have a bad attitude. (laughs) (laughs) You help keep me grounded and accountable, and I love that about you. We make a good team, Debs. Yes, we do. Okay, well, enough with all the bushy stuff. We're going to lose all of our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't lose them talking about attitude anyways. (laughs) (laughs) So in our last episode, we started talking about attitude, and we introduced our 60-day attitude challenge. Yeah, and here's what we're doing, everybody, in case you missed it. We decided to take 60 days to focus on the kind of attitudes to have that will help us live at our best. We're evaluating ourselves. We're talking about this stuff. We're identifying areas that may need some adjustment, and then we are going to challenge ourselves in those areas to begin cultivating the attitudes we want. I know we joked around last episode about some things that really test our attitudes. I talked about Atlanta traffic. You talked about getting the customer service robot on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) But really, in the scheme of things, those are little irritants that test our attitudes. We had some really good laughs. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, go back and listen because it's great. But after we got done doing that podcast, I was thinking and I had this thought to myself that If I let something like traffic affect my attitude, how am I doing with much bigger things in life? And I started thinking about what am I letting steal my joy or who, if anyone, is stealing my joy from me? Ooh, good question. I think that's something good for all of us to think about. You know, golly, there are just so many opportunities every day for our attitude to fluctuate, especially if we let circumstances or others affect it. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't let all the day-to-day stuff, I mean, even the big stuff, uh, take us in a tailspin? I mean, just imagine how much better our lives could be. And, you know, if that's what we want, I mean, I know I want that. It means that we're going to have to be really intentional about it every day because we face things every day. 
And <laughs> one way to think about attitude is we have two options. We can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. I propose the latter. What I mean is we can either react to the atmospheres we're around, merely reflecting them like a thermometer, or we can read the atmospheres we're around and respond to them by setting the climate like a thermostat. I think a lot of us tend to be more like a thermometer and bounce up and down on that temperature scale, and that is exhausting. If we're going to be a thermostat, we'll have to work at it, but just think how much better that would be. (laughs) Yes, and trust me, it is better. So let me ask you, what are the climates like around you, at home, in your workplace, with your family? Are these atmospheres affecting you or are you affecting them? I really want to encourage us all to start thinking about being a thermostat, to read our environments and then learn to influence them for the better, especially using our attitude. Debs, a lot of us know that we should have a good attitude, but sometimes it's just too easy to get sucked in, especially if we're in a negative environment. Have you ever had a bad attitude when you knew you really didn't need to? Oh, for sure. I mean, last week, but we won't go there. I do want us to keep a couple things in mind as we talk about attitudes. I mean, first and foremost, God will not love you any more or less than he does at this moment. Good attitude day, bad attitude day, he loves you, period. I mean, second, life is about learning, doing, and practicing. And the way we approach life, it affects our attitude. You know, the things we share are intended to help us set goals, you know, by using life-giving principles. But these are things we aim at, we work towards, and all of us are going to miss the mark from time to time, many times. And, you know, when we do, the idea is we just keep going. We keep at it because every day is a new day. And I think the other thing is, you know, if we want to have a Christ-like attitude, that's something that develops over a lifetime. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes life experiences and lots of practice. And the great thing is Jesus knows that and he's along for the journey. So let's just embrace the training process, learn to relax a little bit and even laugh at ourselves. Embrace the training process and laugh at ourselves. Well, do I have a story for you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bring it. Well, you know, it makes me think of this. I remember when Peyton and I first started dating We used to golf a lot, and I was a beginner, and of course, Peyton is a professional, and so he is like really, really good at playing golf. Well, we would play, and I wasn't so good, and I would put this extra pressure on myself because I wanted to impress him, and it would spoil my attitude and our time together. And Peyton, in my opinion, is the best golf coach there is, would remind me that he had been playing for 20 years and went to PGA school, so of course, he was going to be much more advanced than me. And he also reminded me that I was a beginner, and that I had a lot to learn before I could just get out on the course and swing at the ball and it go as far as him. I had to embrace the training process like you just mentioned, and probably have a lot of laughs at myself along the way. (laughs) But looking back at that now, I really do not know why I got so upset with myself. There was no need for me to have an attitude. I was a beginner for one, and for two, we were on a date, not even playing in a tournament. (laughs) So I guess 
feeling inadequate made me insecure. And then that played a role in my bad attitude. And I think sometimes things like insecurity causes bad attitudes. Definitely. Lauren, I am so glad you shared that. It's actually a great way for us to picture ourselves, you know, on the course of life with Jesus. He is our master coach. He loves being with us, encouraging us, and helping us as we master the game of life. So today we're going to take a look at a portion of scripture called the Beatitudes. They are the first part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is considered to be the greatest sermon Jesus preached. It begins in the book of Matthew chapter 5, and it goes all the way to the end of chapter 7. And here's a little context. Jesus saw crowds gathering, so he climbed up a hillside, and it says the disciples followed after him. He sits down, and they gather around him, and he begins to teach them, and the crowds are listening in. The things he told them were shocking. I mean, so countercultural and different from anything they'd ever heard. He corrected attitudes, misunderstandings, and practices of their Judaism. When he finished, the crowds were awestruck. Many of them said it was the best teaching they had ever heard. And it was. It was absolutely revolutionary. And it still is today. And if you've never read it or if you haven't read it in a long time, I want to encourage you, read both chapters this week. And um, we're going to learn so much from just breaking the Beatitudes down. Yeah, those are really great chapters. And you know what I love about the Beatitudes is that they tell us how to be blessed by God. Whenever we follow God's instructions, there is a promise or a reward attached to it, basically a blessing. And I've heard people say things before like, life doesn't come with a manual, but there is a manual to life. It's the Bible. In it are some very specific guidelines on how to live well, especially in regards to our attitude. In Beatitudes, Jesus shares specific attitudes that produce true happiness and satisfaction in our lives. And you can find them in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. There are eight of them, and we're going to talk about the first four today. Yeah, you know, real quick before we do, Lauren, I want to ask everybody something. Here it is. What do y'all think true happiness is? And how do you think you find it? I'll never forget sitting and listening to a very famous, well-known evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke. I listened to him in person. I listened to him, you know, tapes. And he would always say something while he preached. He would ask um, whoever was listening. He'd say, are you happy? (laughs) And I mean, all throughout his messages, are you happy? (laughs) And I'll never forget it. And, you know, it just made, when I thought about this, I wanted to ask everybody, are you happy? (laughs) I just want to say it quick. Are you happy? Happy? I mean, who doesn't want to be happy? Yeah. So, you know, we all do. I think the challenge most of us have is how we think we'll get there. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, if I just had more money or if I just didn't have to work or if I just live somewhere different, if I just whatever, fill in that blank there. But the truth is, none of those things are going to bring us the true happiness we all long for. And I don't know about y'all, but I want all the happiness and satisfaction I can get in life. So let's see what Jesus has to say when it comes to this. So here we go. He begins with this. 
this is what the good life looks like. And then he lists the eight attitudes of a blessed person. Here's the first four. According to Jesus in God's kingdom, the people whose lives are filled with happiness and satisfaction are, number one, they are poor in spirit. They have a certain attitude towards themselves and God. Second one is that they are the ones who mourn because they have a certain attitude towards sin. The third is they're the meek. They have a certain attitude towards God's authority over their life. And the fourth one, they are the ones who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they have a certain attitude towards the things that please God. That probably wasn't what most people were expecting, right? (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) I mean, we have to imagine there were Jews gathered there that day. The image of Jesus sitting on the mountainside must have reminded them of Moses coming down the mountain to share the Ten Commandments. But this time, they aren't being given a list of do's and don'ts. He's sharing distinctive characteristics to be desired and manifested in kingdom people, which is anyone in a relationship with God who wants to live under his rule and blessing. And he says, you know, this is how things really are. And this is how my kingdom really works. Yeah, Jesus is offering them a picture of what a flourishing and happy life looks like. He was showing them and us a better way to live. In reality, the Beatitudes are trying to show us that true happiness and satisfaction come from being shaped into the kind of person we were originally created to be, the one Jesus modeled for them and for us. Exactly. And you know, Lauren, when we look at Jesus, we see someone who had the right attitude in every situation. He prayed about everything and he worried about nothing. And even in the midst of ridicule, abuse, and I mean, such hostility. He didn't make threats. He didn't retaliate. You know, instead, he entrusted himself fully to God. He sought God's guidance every day, and he submitted to his will. And, you know, I just have to say, like, hashtag life goals. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my life goals, you know. I want his attitude. Yeah, so true. There is no one with a better attitude than Jesus. I mean, even when he was faced suffering on the cross, his response was, God, let your will be done. Seriously? That's like the best attitude. (laughs) It is. Help us, Lord. Right? (laughs) You know, so let's dive into this. Let's talk about the four attitudes uh, he mentioned. First on the list is the poor in spirit. Like you said, they have a certain attitude toward themselves and God. You know what Jesus was really saying here, if you understand those, like if you look at those Greek words when he talked about being blessed, he was saying happy and mighty fortunate are those who live their lives in conscious dependency on God because they recognize they are spiritually and morally crippled. So what kind of attitude does this type of person have towards themselves and God? Debs, isn't this a picture of what like a kingdom person is to be like? Well, the Greek word poor was used of a beggar in biblical times. And beggars would be on the street corner asking for help because they were unable to take care of themselves. So Jesus is saying the blessed kingdom person, the one who will experience true happiness and satisfaction, is the person who recognizes their own insufficiency. And they aren't too proud to beg. You know, they're not too proud to ask for help. 
they know they don't have what they need in and of themselves, and they're quick to acknowledge that. And here's the key. They believe they can go to God and receive whatever they need. So their attitude is, I'm not enough, but he is. They're like, God, I cannot accomplish what you want me to accomplish. I can't be what you want me to be without you. Please help me. Exactly. And this is the opposite of a person with an independent attitude. They have this, I got this. I can handle my business. I can take care of myself, which really is, you know, an I don't need God attitude. And that's not the kind of attitude we need. It's also the opposite of a self-righteous attitude. You know, Jesus, when he's saying these things, he's correcting attitudes of pride, arrogance, and judgmentalism. Okay, so if we have the right attitude towards ourselves and God, it will actually help us to have a humble disposition. Yes, which means we won't think we're better than anybody else. We won't think we're too good to listen or learn from anyone else. And we won't have to be right all the time. You know, we'll have a really healthy self-esteem. We'll understand that we're inadequate in and of ourselves, but we'll base our confidence and our worth on God's grace and depend on Him. And that just really gives us an incredible healthy balance. Yeah. If we have the kind of attitude Jesus is talking about, a humble, I need you, God. I need your grace every day because I'm powerless without you type of attitude. He gives us a promise and he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. This means we'll get to experience God's heavenly rule breaking into our everyday lives. That is a huge blessing to personally experience his power operating and reigning in our life. Like that's awesome. So the question is, do we have this kind of attitude toward ourselves and God? Are we dependent upon him every day? Do we believe he's the source for all our needs? Those are really great questions to help us understand if we are poor in spirit. Okay, so the next one on the list are those who mourn. Yeah, I think a lot of people have misunderstood this one. Jesus is actually saying, happy and mighty fortunate are those who live their lives saddened by what saddens God. To mourn is to be sorrowful over something. You know, have you ever considered what causes God to mourn? I do believe God mourns over our culture. It grieves his heart to see all the things going on, all that is happening because people have departed from him. Think about all the sin and all the negative consequences it produces in our lives. Like, obviously, that doesn't make God happy. He doesn't want that for us. Yeah, I mean, God hates what sin does for us. I mean, it's why Jesus came. Sin separates us from him. It deceives us. It enslaves us and robs us of so much and not only hurts us, but it hurts others. And this absolutely grieves his heart. You know why? Because he created us for so much more. And so many of us choose to forfeit that for temporary pleasures that only harm us in the end. Yeah. So what kind of attitude does a kingdom person have towards sin? I mean, first off, they believe whatever God says is sin is sin. That's a big one. They don't try to debate it. They don't try to justify it, rationalize it. You know, they don't try to change what his word says. Whatever God says is sin is sin. They believe that. 
And they also believe sinning is wrong and should be avoided. You know, whenever they don't do what God wants, they feel truly sorry about it and have a genuine desire to change. I mean, the truth is we all sin. The Bible makes that clear. But it also says that God hates sin. And we're told clearly to stop sinning. So I think a kingdom person's attitude is, I don't want to sin. But when sin gets the better of them, they feel remorse and they're eager to get the better of it the next time. If we have the right attitude towards sin, the promise is we will be comforted. The word comfort is talking about one who comes alongside to help. It's the word used of the Holy Spirit who comes alongside to encourage us, strengthen us, enable us to overcome whatever we're going through. In a way, the first and second Beatitudes go together. You could say, fortunate are the people who feel their inadequacies and their helplessness, who don't hide but are honest about them and grieve over them and have a genuine desire to change. So let me ask, is this your attitude towards sin? Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to help you understand and develop God's heart towards sin and its consequences? I mean... Let's ask him. If you haven't done this in a while, or maybe you never have asked the Holy Spirit, ask him to examine your heart and your life and point out any sins you need to acknowledge, be aware of, and confront. Yeah, we can actually find it in Psalms that we should go ask God to search our hearts. I'm glad that you explained the second beatitude a bit better because this gives us a better idea of what it means to mourn and how we are comforted by God. So the next one on the list are the meek or the gentle. Yes. You know, Jesus is saying happy and mighty fortunate are those who are broken of their self-will. The word being used by Jesus referred to the breaking of a horse. You have to imagine a wild stallion trying to knock a rider off because it just doesn't want him on his back. So the stallion bucks until it throws him off, but the rider gets right back on because he's trying to break the horse of his will so that it will do what the rider wants. The rider isn't trying to break the horse of its strength, of its power, or its ability. He's simply trying to teach it to be meek, to come under his direction. You know, once the horse is broken of its self-will, its strength will be under control. That's the Greek word for meek or gentle. It means to be broken of your self-will. Oh, I really like that. So, Debs, what kind of attitude would you say a kingdom person has towards God's authority over their lives? I think the biggest is they have a trusting attitude. Trust is huge, and I know it's hard to trust because so many people have disappointed us. But God is not like people. He's God, and He is um, trustworthy. And what happens is when you have a trusting attitude toward God, you respond to Him. You have a responsive attitude. So people um, who are meek, they believe God is God, and as such, you know, is to be honored. They respond to his instruction. They have settled that they are not the best person to run their life. <laughs> so they've given, you know, um, that job over to him. 
to his authority and they, you know, believe that his ways and his will are something to be learned, submitted to and depended on. A person who has this kind of attitude will commit everything to him. And I mean everything, their business, their problems, their relationships, their struggles, their frustrations, their finances. They hand it all to God and they trust that he'll guide them and protect them. And the thing about someone with this kind of attitude, posture, disposition, they especially have a quiet kind of just steadiness about their lives, even in the midst of trouble or mistreatment, because they just rely on God. If we have the right attitude towards God's authority in our lives, we're given a promise. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. To inherit something means something has been willed to you. Think about that. God has something set aside, especially for each of us, and we can have it if we have the right attitude towards his authority in our lives. Yes. And I know that this is really countercultural because most people think the way to get what's theirs is to be the authority, you know, to be the one in power, to walk over whoever they need to, to get whatever they want. And God says, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. It's the meek who will inherit the earth. So, you know, let's be honest. Who is in control of our life? Is it us or is it God? You know, here's another one. Have you been broken of your self-will? Or do you keep trying to buck God off your back? Because <laughs> you want to do what you want to do. I mean, I, I hope we'll really let this sink in because God has so much for us. And we really don't want to miss out on that because we are just unwilling to submit to Him. We can always ask Him to help, especially if we're strong-willed. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a lot of us want to let God be in control of our lives, but sometimes it's just hard to let go and let God. But if we're going to have a meek attitude, we definitely need to work on that. Okay, so the next one on the list and the last one we will talk about today is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yeah, you know, so Jesus is saying, happy and mighty fortunate are those who have an insatiable appetite for what pleases God. You know, here's the deal. We are forgiven and accepted before God on the basis of all that Christ is and all that he's done. At the same time, we are also probably far from all that Christ calls us to be and tells us we can be. There it is. True that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Debs, what kind of attitude would you say a kingdom person has towards the things that please God? I'd say an eager attitude. I mean, they believe it's possible to grow and mature into all that God desires them to be, and they want to. They want His character. You know, they want their attitude to change. I mean, their speech, their actions, all of those things to be more and more like who He is and what He's called them, you know, to be. I think the truth is a person who's in right relationship with God will long to live a life that honors Him, especially in light of all that He's done for them. So I believe their attitude is, God, you know, I want to please you. With everything I am, everything I have, whatever I do, I mean, God, help me, because I want to represent you to my family, to my friends, to 
um, this world, I want to represent you well. Definitely. So this means if we have the right attitude towards the things that please God, we will pursue them. And when we do, Jesus gives us this promise. He says we will be filled or satisfied. Basically, he is promising to remove the discontentment from our life. And I think that he truly wants to fill our lives with more satisfaction than our hearts can ever imagine. He does. He absolutely does. So the question is, how is your appetite? That's a great question, because it's something that I don't think we think about often enough. I think we all like the idea of being hungry for God, but sometimes our actions just really do not align with that. You're right. And maybe we were really hungry at one point in our life, but not so much anymore. You know, whatever the case We can always ask the Holy Spirit to give us a new hunger and a thirst for the things that please Him. I don't know about you, Debs, but I've got some work to do. I have to. (laughs) (laughs) These Beatitudes are really eye-opening, and making these attitude adjustments isn't easy, but I am excited. Personally, I want God's favor flowing in my life, and I want it to extend through me to others. I want to have a good attitude and I want others to recognize that in me. So today has been really helpful in studying what Jesus says when it comes to attitude. Guys, hopefully today's episode has helped you as well. We thank you so much for listening and growing with us. And don't forget, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Use your attitude to influence your environment for the good. That's all for today. We can't wait to meet with you next time here at First of Maine, your avenue to living well.